We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter one. Uh, gonna look at verses six through 12 today. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, that's on page 588. Page 588, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 12 is the verses we'll be looking at. And uh, as you're turning there, just to recap where we've been, you know, we've been in this series of 1 Peter. It's called A Sojourner's Guide. Uh, a sojourner, if you wanna know what that means, is someone who is staying somewhere temporarily. A sojourner is someone who is staying somewhere temporarily. Peter is writing to a group of people, actually multiple groups of people, who find themselves dispersed uh, in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's talking to people who follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't necessarily affirm their following of Jesus. They're encountering suffering, whether it's at their front door, it's someone they know and love, or, or, or the city next door, like suffering is happening because of their faith. And he's, he, he's gonna take this whole letter to go, hey, if this place doesn't feel like home, it's because it's not. That's sojourner language. You're, you're somewhere temporarily. Last week, we really touched on this really hard. So we talked about how heaven is, is, uh, is home, that heaven is in our future, that there's an imperishable, undefiled gift that awaits those who belong to God. But heaven's also here. And that's so powerful that, that in Jesus's prayer in Matthew 6, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this like reality where we, we won, we don't put our stock here because heaven awaits. That's a promise that will take place. That's a real place. But two, we also recognize that we get to participate in being heaven bearers while we're here. We get to point people to a bigger and better and higher reality as participants with Jesus on earth. So that's really gonna inform this week because the conversation this week, you'll notice I might be a little calmer than normal. Like I might be a little more sit back because that's honestly the posture of my heart this week. It's, it's like a humble conversation. We're gonna talk about trials and suffering. And uh, I've never given a, a discourse on suffering. I, I haven't done a ton of study on this. I mean, this week I certainly tried my hardest, but... Uh, yeah, it's an it's a interesting conversation and a lot of us have had different encounters with suffering and trials and have different thoughts and different beliefs. And I just wanna walk through it with open hands and humility and just talk with you guys about it. And I think there's some, some beautiful things for us. So I'm gonna read verses six through 12 in, in 1 Peter 1. And then I'll pray over us and then uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Thanks be to God that he is here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was a mouthful. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me pray. God, thank you for a chance to just have a conversation. And Holy Spirit, you and I are both well aware of my inability and just how able you are in this conversation. And so I just pray, God, for your leadership and um, just speak, Father. If there's any place where there's distraction or confusion, would you just 
do your work and make things clear. Um, God, I, I pray for those that are here that, that go, man, I'm not even sure God is real. Like, would you just make yourself known and clear? Uh, for the Christians that need to be comforted, um, God, would you comfort for, for anyone here that, that needs to be comforted? Like, would you comfort God? And I, I pray, God, for where there's people that, that sense a next step in their faith journey, would you just give them the courage to take a step, um, God? But in all things, I just ask, you are real, God. This is real. So would you help us to treat it as such? In Jesus' name, amen. So um, let's talk about suffering. Let's talk about suffering. So uh, a question I was asking myself that I, I felt like would probably come up in all of our hearts, and we probably all have different answers, and that's okay, there's room for that, is one, where does suffering even come from in the first place? Before we look into the, the text and some things that I, that I saw I wanted to speak about, but where does suffering even, even come from? So, because I don't wanna speak very lightly on something that has touched a lot of us so heavily. Like, we've experienced pain and, and trial. And, you know, in scripture, uh, there's a lot of answers. So there's no better answer than like three or four answers that doesn't feel like an answer at all. And I'm about to, I'm about to give you that, all right? You know, in scripture, there's, there's moments, like in the book of Job, where there's just this idea that, that God was intimately involved in the suffering. And he didn't cause it, but he did allow it. And, and he had something to say there. And so uh, what I mean by that is, you know, God, when suffering takes place, when things we didn't expect, whether tragedy or persecution, whatever it is, uh, and when we're talking about suffering, I'm talking about external, things happening out of our control to us, around us. Uh, there's this moment where it, it's not as if God was like, wait, what, what happened? Like, oh my gosh, I gotta prepare for this. I gotta get my angels ready. Like something's going on. Like God is aware. And, and there's some sense in scripture where there's moments where God even allows and uh, that's very interesting, and there's plenty of thoughts there. We're not going to sit there very long right now, but that's just true. In Scripture, according to Scripture, there is a sense that God is intimately involved in even allowing of some things to happen. Um, sometimes it's simply a matter of darkness and sin. That's like the book of Acts, is people who love God, who are, who are just living for the Lord, who are seeking to be generous and testify of what the Lord has done, and they just encounter persecution, like in a sinful and dark place, uh, not everything is fair and, and like balanced. So people that live life for Jesus in kindness and truth were killed, were jailed, were, uh, they suffered. And I don't think that was God being manipulative or going, I really wanna test Peter's faith right now. There may have been some of that at some points, but I also think we live in a broken world and that's just a part of it sometimes. You know, I think sometimes suffering is simply a natural intersection of life. There's like 7 billion people here. We're all trying to figure it out. And, and a lot of things are going on. We live in a fallen world. So there's sickness, there's death, there's disease. There's, there's all sorts of things that we encounter. There's divorce, there's anxiety. There's, there's so many things. I don't have to name them. You know them intimately. And uh, I think some of that's just natural. And I, I don't want to over or under spiritualize. So please hear the balance I'm trying to strike right now. <laughs> but I think it all can fit in this conversation. What I do believe is that God is near and that James promises that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And some questions remain questions, I think, on this side of heaven, but I do believe God longs to be intimately involved. And we're gonna look at some things that I think God does in the midst of suffering, regardless of the source of suffering, okay? Um, so I do believe God can use trials and suffering in some really beautiful ways, no matter what the circumstance, I believe that. So I'm gonna stand with a posture of open hands to going, oh, where does it all come from? Well, there's like, it feels like there's a lot of answers there, but I'm gonna stand really firm on what I believe God can do in the midst of it. And I, I think there's some truths you can be certain of and you can hold on to. So I wanna spend some time talking about the inward work of suffering and the outward work of suffering, all right? The inward work 
of suffering and the outward work of suffering. So let's remember where we've been in 1 Peter. So verses one through five, it's all identity. It's beautiful language to the elect exiles dispersed, chosen by the Father, sprinkled with the blood, like sanctified by the Spirit, like really cool language there. And Peter's just gonna spend some time reminding them of the heaven that is surely theirs, the undefiled, imperishable inheritance that awaits them. It's important to know that because the thing about going through a book series, we're gonna spend a week in these specific verses. And if you don't remember what came before, it kind of, things can kind of get just dis, dis, discombobulated. The word itself is discombobulated for me. So, <laughs> so there's this moment where he, he, he talks about, hey, don't forget, like, keep your eyes on heaven. This is not it. Everything you see and feel here is not the final say in this world. And so then comes verse six. And I, I wanna focus in on verse six and seven. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just a couple of things here. And I'm gonna move through this rather quickly. We're gonna talk about suffering a lot. It comes up in 1 Peter a lot. So if you go, that felt incomplete. It is. Hopefully by the end of it, we'll feel a little better well-rounded. So, so first thing, trials do not change faith. They do reveal it. Uh, I, I do believe this. Uh, trials can affect our journey. They, they can make us wrestle. But I, I do believe trials are very good at revealing where your faith is. So when a hard moment happens, the things that you believe about God, whether positive or negative, come to the surface a little more immediately, right? There's secrets of your heart that there's things you believe about God, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and nothing will reveal that belief like a trial. When a hard moment happens, how you respond to God. Like in some of my trials, I immediately respond as if he's not sovereign and not in control or doesn't love me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's interesting because scripture is littered with people in hard moments, crying out to God, but and in, in the Psalms, sometimes doubting his love, but we see in the New Testament that, that, that suffering, that pain wasn't a reason to doubt God. It was a reason to press into God. But for me, I found, oh no, like, who are you? Do you even love me? So that's, that's kind of what I mean by that. So when hard moments happen, they don't change your faith. A lot of times they put a magnifying glass on it and kind of reveal some things, which in the right, I think is actually a very healthy moment. It's a good thing, but it can be kind of disturbing. Another way to put it is, uh, Trials do not define your faith. They do refine your faith. So, you know, they use that gold image, or they, Peter uses that gold imagery in verse seven. I think it's a great analogy. You know, I'm not a jeweler. I don't know how gold works, but I'm pretty sure if you put it in really hot fire, it purifies it in some way, okay? Is that any jewelers here? Is that how gold works? If you make it real hot, it makes it more pure, okay? That's what I'm gonna trust because it's in scripture and scripture's never wrong. So anyway, that's just the truth. So there's, there's just a, a reality here. And this can be hard to hear. Like, it's kind of like, well, that's a bummer. I don't want suffering to have to refine me. But this is true everywhere. Like, if someone has a good marriage and you're like, I want my marriage to look like that. It's a healthy marriage. And you ask them, it's not gonna be, they're not gonna say, well, you know what? We met, we got along, and we just never stopped getting along, right? Like, the husbands and wives are the ones laughing right now, right? It's like, there's just this reality. Like, no, I saw him when he was at his most immature, ugliest, stupid, annoying self, and I chose to love him. And that's what this thing is built on. It's like, we just understand that the deeper some of the trials are and the pains of marriage are, the stronger it becomes if we like hold the right posture, obviously. Um, so there's just a truth that when we go through trials, they refine us in a lot of areas of life but specifically spiritually, the truth is the same. I believe there's just a refining that takes place in our hearts. Um, Romans 5 talks about 
suffering, and it says that suffering, I'm paraphrasing here, produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in that sense, suffering is the very thing that illuminates the spirit of God in us. There is just something special, and it's a weird word to put on it, about suffering for the believer. There's something miraculous that happens. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, I was at prayer gathering, which is at seven o'clock at the cannery each week except this week, all right? So shout out, don't go this week, but next week, come hang. I was talking to a woman who's, son had committed suicide uh, two years before. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not a parent, um, but I have parents. And they tell me that their worst fear would be losing me before they, they passed away, would be losing a child. And this mom had went through that. And she just said, I never would have expected it, but I have just grown deeply intimate with the Lord. I'm so close with God. And I'm just, I, all I want to do is be with parents that have lost a kid, that have lost a child. That's not always the formula, okay? So, our trials and suffering can lead to other things. There can be, like, I'm not saying there's not grief and pain and, and sometimes even loss and like wondering who God is. That's all, there's room for all of that. I'm, what I am saying is in this moment, there was something miraculous, mysterious that took place with this woman where she went, great pain brought me to intimacy with God. It awakened her to a hope. And what a hope is in the sense that the New Testament uses is being assured of something you've yet to take hold of. Super odd, right? To be 100% sold on something you aren't holding quite yet. For example, Jesus promises a new heaven and a new earth. We're not living there. But the call of this text is while we're enduring suffering, it reminds us to put our hearts, hopes, our assurance on the life that is yet to come. So that our present circumstances, even when it's as deep and as painful as losing a son, like they don't define our faith. In fact, they draw us to be more intimate and more hopeful in the reality of God some other things that aren't necessarily in the passage, but you know, I, think, I think going through trials just gives us a better, I never know the difference between empathy and sympathy, so I think both apply. Just let me know if I'm wrong. I think trials produce a better empathy, a sense of empathy and sympathy for those going through trials. Is that really good? My English professor would be like straight with that. All right, cool. Uh, but I think this is just true. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen it. My compassion for people experiencing heartbreak is at its greatest, I've really noticed this before I look at this text, is at its greatest when my heart's broken. When my heart's broken, I swear, I, have a, I typed up a thing and printed it and put it in my desk drawer that said, everyone's trying their hardest, just love them. Because I just got my heart shattered because I just failed. <laughs> and I, just, I was like, I can't forget how I feel right now. We gotta just love everybody, right? And that's what I did. I, it's literally in my drawer right now. And I was just like, no, like when my heart's broken, my heart breaks for people. Like when my heart's broken, I just, I just want you to know I love you. Like I feel for you. My heart breaks for you right now. You just get more sensitive. I think that's a, that really is a benefit of trials. Another thing is humility. Nothing humbles us and makes us feel less in control than trials. When we're just aware I can't fix the situation, I didn't even cause the situation. I'm very aware of how human I am right now. That humility is good. Like that's a good thing. The circumstance might be hard, but there really are some real benefits to the posture of the heart when we experience sufferings. I don't wanna make light of this, uh, of suffering. I, I do wanna say, I believe these things are true and in store for those that believe in God, that when we suffer with God, he will use those to do beautiful things in your heart. He will bring healing to situations that don't make sense, that don't 
they don't match up with your logic. I shouldn't be healed right now. I shouldn't be drawing more intimately with God, but yet he is using this. And I think the, the story of the gospels testified to this as well. So that's kind of the inward. We're gonna move ahead to the outward. Again, understanding we're not de- digging into the very depths of these conversations. I'm, I'm skimming the surface here, okay? The outward work of suffering. I wanna look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It hit me this week that nothing testifies to the reality of relationship with God like someone going through suffering. If you've ever seen someone suffer greatly and hold tightly to God, doesn't that just testify in a powerful way? Look no further than the life of Jesus. Jesus was an incredible teacher. Any teacher you put up, I'd put Jesus against him and say Jesus probably did better. He was a great leader. He healed people, right? Like dead people didn't stay dead all the time around Jesus. Weird things happened, they came to life. Blind people could see. The 10 lepers are healed. And shout out to the one leper that actually came back and understood that was a big deal and he had talked to Jesus, that was good, good leper. Um, Good, healed, former leper. Anyway, um, (laughs) I love that joke. (laughs) As good of a teacher and as much of a healer as Jesus was, I feel like the foundation that makes all that all the more powerful is his death and his resurrection, right? We, we would all agree. He resurrected to change the game. But what's interesting, the first person to profess Jesus as the son of God after Jesus died, confessed it before he resurrected. And that hit me this week. There's a centurion in Mark 15 that saw the way Jesus breathed his last and said, Surely this was the son of God. There was something about how Jesus suffered that testified to the reality of God's power and presence in the life of Jesus. In a moment, like in my opinion, where Jesus seemed his weakest, like the argument was one, like, oh, this isn't God. There he is, dead. Like, and the soldier goes, no, my profession is killing people and no one has done that. No one has said, Father, forgive from that place. No one has been that gentle and that quiet and that humble. Like, and says, surely there's something here. And I think this is all throughout the gospels and in the book of Acts, you know, there's Stephen and I believe Acts 7, I can't quite remember the reference and I forgot to look after the nine, after telling them I forgot the reference. Um, so good for me. But there's a guy named Stephen who's getting stoned to death. Like people were crazy back then. Like just throwing rocks at him until he dies. And as he's being stoned to death, he says, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. Nothing testifies to Stephen's real act of faith in God than seeing Jesus in the midst of that kind of persecution. There's another story. This is the last one I'll give you, but it's from Paul and Silas. These missionaries who've been arrested, shackled, most likely just butt naked in jail in a weird pot. And that's a weird phrase. I saw a bunch of heads go, whoa, he just said butt naked. He was though. Uh, you know, in chains, in a weird, deformed position. You know, nothing says God has abandoned you more than if you preach the gospel and wind up naked in jail and shackles waiting for death, right? Like God isn't there in that moment, right? No, Paul and Silas, they sing hymns. They testify to God's goodness. They press in and it's incredible. Earthquake happens, chains break. In the centurion, what happens? He and his whole family are baptized. And I believe the miracle had absolutely a piece of that. That was a big part. But I also believe that centurion watched those dudes at the very lowest of the low, the worst of the worst of situations, and they were faithful. 
I don't, again, I'm gonna keep saying it because I'm just nervous. I wanna deal with our hearts well. I don't wanna make light of suffering. I don't think your suffering is all about other people. I do think the Holy Spirit is very powerful in how he ministers to the world and how his children deal with real trials and real suffering. I think the gospel's littered with it. So there's power in that. To take it to even more real life, mom and dad, you're here. Something that really impacted our story. You know, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer in her early 50s. I don't know about your relationship with your grandparents. I know some people have grandparents in New Jersey somewhere and they send a $2 bill for your birthday and that's, that's the relationship. And, and that's dope because $2 bills are rare and I like them. So anyway, me and my grandma, we were really close. We rode roller coasters. We boogie boarded. Like she was dope, all right? She had cancer for 11 years. Over and over, oh man, uh, I think it's because y'all are here. I'm good. Um, over and over again, like remission to cancer, remission to cancer. And it was just like crazy. And it took her life uh, a few years ago. And I say this, not, not ro- like romancing the story in any way, not adding any effect. She was the most steadfast in her faith out of all of us. And it was really interesting. Like there were moments where you almost like wanted to like tap her on the shoulder and go, do you know you have cancer though? Like, do you know, are, are you coping well? Like, I feel like nowadays we'd be like, hey, are you risking? We've gotten to uncover some journals since she passed. And I'm talking, she loved the Lord in such a way that people at the funeral were like, I don't know what's up with her life, but she would call me all the time, praying for me, blah, blah, blah. I, don't want, I, I love my grandma, so I want to tell you everything, but I won't. There was such power in how she responded to something here and now impacting her life and eventually taking her life that made me go, who does she know? I mean, I believe in God, but who is she believing in? Because that's active. Cancer comes to me and I'm like, God, where are you? This isn't what you promised. And to be honest, we kind of serve, we, we, we live in a culture where some churches would preach a gospel that says Jesus will deliver you and protect you from suffering. And I go, Jesus promises you love me, suffering will go hand in hand. The good news of Jesus is not avoiding suffering. The good news of Jesus is the promise of John 15, my spirit will be with you till the end of the age. That's the good news of Jesus. And the better news of Jesus, even more so than that, is that this isn't the end. Life will go on. That's the good news of Jesus. And so suffering for followers of Jesus, it has an inward work. It just, there's something incredible. If you walk intimately with God rather than turn away, he will do things in you that you wouldn't thought imaginable in those seasons. And it's hard to explain. There's no formula. Like I I don't have like, if you'll do A, B, and C, A, B, and C will happen. But I can say there's something miraculous about how the spirit works in the midst of suffering. I've seen it. We can get specific. Come talk to me after. I've seen it in real suffering. Secondly, there's an outward working. God will use your suffering. He will. It's a beautiful reality. I don't think he's being manipulative or, thinking, or taking your life lightly, but he will use your life as a testimony to others of the realness of God in a broken world, wanting to be involved, wanting to be here. So I love you. I honestly just wanna hug all of you right now because I'm like, I just, I know that, that, that there are real hurts and pains here. And I, I don't wanna make light of that at all, but I also believe God is, sovereign and very much closely involved with your situation, both for you inwardly, your own soul, and for those around you. And there's power in that. And I wanna, I wanna testify to that uh, as, as much as I can. So last thing, uh, I called this a sidebar at the 9 a.m., but Jared actually was like, hey, I don't think that was your sidebar. I think that was like your heart for this. And I'm like, I think you're right. And so this is actually what really was bubbling up in my heart that I'd, I could really probably preach pretty hard. I found myself resting a little bit Yesterday specifically, I was like, I was kind of thinking, okay, what's the context of this passage? All right, we got a disciple named Peter. 
He's writing to a group of people scattered about who are dealing with real persecution, who are really suffering like physical pain for their faith. And it's, it's external things. And so I think there's a notion that there's everyday life things that are happening, but there's, there's a clear notion of like persecution because of their faith. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was at prayer gathering and there was this family from Syria and they were just test, they're, they're, they're followers of Jesus and they were testifying about how, you know, the wife, her brother was killed in a battle with ISIS and they became Christians and uh, they're, they're, they had to teach their child how to not talk about Jesus because they knew their family might die. They've since moved to America. They can read First Peter. And I don't say that to get some emotional rise out of you, but I'm wanting to just like, in First Peter, they can read that. I don't got to explain a whole lot. I'm like, that's about the word of God for you, your life. You understand what, what, what Peter is saying right now. There's a, a pastor from India that came and he's had family members, friends killed, assaulted for their, their faith in God, just murdered, burned to ashes. Like, so when he comes and preaches the gospel, if he reads First Peter, there's not a lot of cultural study he needs to do. Like he goes, I, I kind of know exactly what Peter's talking about, right? Maintaining the posture of there is real suffering that takes place here. I wanna be careful not to make light of what First Peter's talking about. I don't want to, um, I don't want to comfort first world anxieties. I don't want to um, comfort things that really don't need to be comforted. Um, I think, and this is just going to be for us in our discernment, there are some things that you are actually suffering. There are real trials, and this, there is hope here. There are some things that because we are in a very comfortable culture that idolizes comfort and wealth and safety, um, this will bring comfort where it shouldn't, and I don't think God wants to bring comfort. And what I sensed was, I hope, gosh, I hope I'm saying this clearly because I really, I really believe this in my heart. What I sensed was, this is a call to be intimate with God. Someone goes to Jesus and goes, What's, tell me the most important thing. He goes, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes, give it all up. Those two things, you, you, you put your life on those two. Everything you do, those two things, all I'm asking for. And I sense that this passage might be harder to process for some of us, including me. Like you can ask Leah, I was telling her, I don't even apply to this yet. This will miss some of us because we've yet to walk intimately with God. But as you walk intimately with God, this passage will make more and more sense. As you walk closer with God, as you put the things in your life and just surround them around like this central theme of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we will begin to experience suffering. We will, but we'll also be able to experience the inexpressible joy that is promised in 1 Peter when that suffering's at our door. We will. And I just sense like, in the nicest way possible, since I'm your pastor and I actually love everybody, I really do, I love being here and I love us and I wanna talk about it. I don't wanna give a harsh word, but I wanted to go, be careful what you think you need comfort for. God has asked for your life, your heart, soul, and mind. And everyone we're gonna read about died for their faith. I'm so grateful we're in a free country. At least right now, that will most likely not happen. Okay, that's just real. Maybe it will, maybe it will. There are, there are select stories, but for the most part, we're not gonna be able to really feel all of this, but we will experience 
tribulation. We will experience trials. The closer we walk with Jesus, suffering will be there. Why? Because suffering followed Jesus. It followed the disciples. And so what I sense in my heart, my to-do, I'm like, I've got some suffering. I've got some things that really hurt me. I really do. But I also just sense, man, I feel just a call to be intimately involved with the Lord. And so I just wanted to ask, just kind of two frames of thought as we close this up. First, I wanted to ask that if you're here and you identify as a follower of Jesus and you go, I've got some suffering, but, but I'm really, that, that really resonates with me. This call just to be intimately, like just to draw in closer to God. I wanna ask you to do something. I'm gonna give us five minutes to do it. If you need to move around, sit somewhere else, go outside, but on your own, I want you to think about the last seven days of your life, the last week. And if the last seven days haven't been normal, think about a normal, what a normal week looks like. And I want you just to ask yourself, where am I giving room to the things of God? Like, where am I giving space to living into the commands that Jesus says, these are the two. If you wanna just sum it all up into two things, Jesus himself goes, this is the two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I just wanna ask you just to examine your life. Look at your calendar. It's too easy to do the head transfer thing. Like, oh, I got some knowledge. Now I'm passing some knowledge to you. And now look at us. We all got more knowledge and we're out of here. But the power is in participation always. And so I just wanna invite you. Think about your calendar and go, hey, where am I leaving room for prayer? Like, am I intimate with God? I'm about to give a lot of questions. You don't have to ask all these. Just one of them is good. But where am I praying with the Lord? Where am I in his scripture? He tells me, this is the anointed word of God. Where is it feeding my soul? Where am I worshiping the Lord? When's the last time I sat down and just started saying thank you for an hour? Like, how can I draw near to God? That was critical to the life of Jesus. Intimate places. Half the time, the disciples are like, where's Jesus? And he's by some tree praying or in the wilderness for 40 days. It's like Jesus loved being with God. As Christians, we need to love being with God. And if we don't yet, that's okay. Let's take a step. Maybe it's just community stuff. Maybe it's like, I need to get around some people that are helping me get real. Like, it's just so common for community not to point to Jesus. It's so weird. It's like taboo for Christians not to help Christians love Jesus. It's like the weirdest thing that we talk ourselves into. And maybe it's like, I need to get locked in some community or talk to my friends and we need to get real about pursuing God and just loving each other, making sure we're living holy lives and, and repenting. And all. Anyway, I'm just rambling. Maybe it's living missionally. Maybe it's like, man, I've got good community. I got a good church. I love God. I don't remember the last time I went out into the world and tried to show the world who Jesus was to be a heaven bearer, the image of God to the world. There is, if you need to find any needs or any brokenness, just like take a walk 25 yards in any direction, you will find needs. You will find people that need to know the goodness of God, both in word and deed. Like that is available. So maybe that's it. I, I feel like sometimes our apathy in our faith is really just a lack of like stepping out, like in obedience to God. We feel bored. and feel like we need to talk about our identity more. And really what we need to do is just step out into obedience. So Hopefully that makes sense. What I'm asking you to do is very practically look at your week and go, what, what about my week is pointing me to taking the commands of God seriously and like stepping into that? Second thing, and about after that five minutes of reflection, I'm gonna ask us to circle up. And if you're here and you go, I hear you about suffering, I'm actually shattered right now. Like I'm, I'm suffering. I've got some things that are burning my heart. At the book of Acts is such a good model for this. When people were, were just in the thick of it, in the grind, they would come back to their fellow believers and the believers would surround them and they would just lift them up in prayer. And I want us to do that here. We started out this morning with that exercise, like let's talk to each other because I want to participate here. And so I want to circle up. And if anyone in that circle goes, I would love just prayer, I'm wrestling. I want us to pray for each other. 
to pray for boldness, to pray for courage, to just pray, not to be advice givers. If someone's vulnerable enough to tell you something, like just surround them with prayer, sense the spirit, ask God what he wants to say. So one, five minutes by yourself, look at your week. Think about a step you can take into the ways of God. Like, how can you do this? And then two, if you're going through something, we'll circle up and let's pray together. And if you get in a circle and everyone's like, ah, we're kind of good. Like there's some things, but I feel like we're okay. Maybe share some of the epiphanies you're having. I'm sorry if this ending isn't clear. Does it feel clear? Can we, we're in a small enough room. Does any clarity needed? Any questions about what we're about to do? You can do it. You good? Okay, that wasn't a hand raised. That was a, we're good. Thank you, Emma. Um, Thank you, thank you. Okay, so I'm gonna pray. And then I'll give you, I'm gonna give you like five to six minutes to just think on your own. Examine your life. Draw intimately with the Lord and, uh, and then we'll circle up. So thank you, God. We love you. Bless this time. Holy Spirit, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.